So welcome to Treasury Career Corner Live. We've got the lovely Hemi Bellarin. Hemi is the European Head of Treasury for GXO Logistics. Anthony Buchanan, Treasurer of Asahi Europe and International. And Emily Helps, Treasurer AMS. So I'm going to kick off with Kemi. Now, it's a little bit strange for myself. Kemi was one of my first ever placements 20 plus years ago. Thank you very much. You give that away, Mike. You should have mentioned the years, you know, make you five. But then, you know, I, it's mine is a typical story of people that found their way into, into Treasury. Um, I studied accountancy. I started out as an accountant qualified as a chartered accountant, but then was lucky enough to have a year's internship at Anderson Consulting. I think I'm giving away the years as well for most people. Um, so it was during my stint at Anderson Consulting that I came across Treasury, the world of Treasury. I was involved in a lot of um, Treasury analytical work. Um, and that, in a way, inspired me to remain um, within Treasury. So I had a couple of stints with um, couple of investment banks in, you know, my native country, Nigeria, but then relocated to UK in 1997. And my first role was as a, uh, what was it? I think it was a contract role as a treasury and insurance assistant. And here I am, you know, today. My boss then said, well, Kemi, if you're interested in treasury, you know, you might as well take on the ACT examinations. And that was it. You know, I sat the exams 2000, I passed the exams and I've never looked back in, um, from Treasury. And then with your career path, talk us through some of the other roles and the decisions you've made from there. So we're going to go through this with each of the, uh, you know, analysts. So you then joined Charter? Yes. Back in the day? Yes, I, jo I joined Charter. It was a very, it was, it was a stint and that was the, the role that you got me, uh, went over to Mike Richards, was that Robert Walters you were at yeah, then? Yeah, that. Sure. That's I shouldn't talk about that. that. Okay. okay, we'll call that later. <laughs> call that out. Okay, we'll do that. And yeah, did I had a state of chatter. Uh, for me, it wasn't really, I can't say that it was a planned journey, as I said, you know, from accountancy to treasury, but then one led to the other. I think for me, you know, the light bulb moment was my boss, um, Hecky Maltiser, that got me into the world of treasury. And the ACT actually gave me the platform, you know, to enhance the sort of the technical knowledge as well as a robust opportunity to network with aspiring treasury professionals as well as people that, you know, that are already um, established in the process. So from Charter, I got a role with um, Southern Pacific Mortgage Limited, which was then owned by Lehman Brothers, gone bust now since then. Um, then from Southern Pacific, moved on to Delta PLC. Again, that was another good cotton teeth role. Um, in the world of treasury, from Delta, moved on to Travelport. Travelport was where I spent like a good 12 years and it was a good development of my role. It was working three companies in one really, started out as private equity, went on to being um, listed on the stock exchange, then back into uh, private equity. And that was the opportunity for me to actually get involved in a wide, varied you know, aspects of, of, of treasury. I did, develop, you know, um, grow uh, within the, the role. Um, but again, you know, I mean, you're going to come through to, to you're going to come to the aspect of challenges much later on. But then within Travelport was 12 years of just stabilizing, you know, my knowledge within treasury. Towards the tail end of it, I got interest in technology. Of course, you know, there's a world of fintech out there helping us treasurers, you know, to, to be better and be more efficient. So in terms of conscious decision, it wasn't really, it was pretty much going with the flow, but we'll come back to that later because I did learn later on in life that, well, you need to have a goal plan and you need to be able to manage your uh, career structurally. But I must say that the few people that I've met along the lines have actually helped shape my growth uh, within treasury and, you know, kept me here uh, within the treasury profession. And then you made the move to, well, recently to GXO. Yes. He explained the orders who yep. GXO and your role there. Yep. So again, GXO was post-COVID. I mean, uh, COVID was a perfect opportunity for me to take my foot off the pedal. Um, it was an opportunity for me to be self-reflective. And I think many people said that, you know, it was just a sort of quiet moment. And that's what I meant by the fact that my career within Travelport, I think I must have assigned my career development to somebody else unknowingly who didn't know that it was his job uh, to make sure that Kemi was well-developed. You know, I thought it was someone else's role. 
But the pandemic gave me that opportunity yeah. to take a look, take a stock, you know, of my profession. Where do I really want to go? What am I doing here? And that was the point where I was able to identify the gaps, even in my technical knowledge, my gaps in my sort of uh, personality traits, the mindset change that I needed to, to implement just so that I could get to the next level. And in that short time, that lockdown uh, during the pandemic, I was able to activate these positive changes that then immediately you know, gave me the positive results. So I had a short stint with um, GTT Communications. That was a point where I said, you know, travel port, I think I've done enough. I risked being deemed institutionalized, you know, having spent 12 years in a company, people would start thinking, oh God, you know, how lazy are you about your career? So that was what, that's the reason why I activated that change. And um, the moment I activated that change, the opportunities were just, you know, um, at the door. So I got this short stint with GTT Communications to help set up the treasury team. Similar process, they were also going through a spin-off and um, they wanted to set up a new treasury team for uh, the new spin-off company. I thought, yeah, why not? I don't have that on my CV. I'd like to add this as a skill. And while I was walking through with GTT, six weeks or so later, I got the call um, for GXO. Again, similar process. It was going through spin-off, um, but it was on a larger scale compared to GTT. So it was a no-brainer uh, for me. So GXO Logistics is contract logistics. I think through our acquisition of Clipper, we're probably the largest in, in the UK and second largest to, to DHL. So my role uh, at GXO was to come in again, set up a treasury team, do the lift and shift from the company that we're being spun off from, um, stabilize the treasury team, and then think about the next step. So again, it was no mean feat. This time last year in July, it was just me, myself, and you know I um, trying to do all that needed to be done. And of course, you know we reached out to treasury equipment only because I knew that ours was unique. We needed a a particular set of people that wouldn't be precious about rolling up their sleeves and then helping us lift and shift and then elevate to the to the next level. So here we are, one year on. You know, we've got a steady team here uh, of treasury uh, professionals. The next step is where do we go from here? How do we transform? How do we change processes? How do we become effective business partners? You know, for we come back to talking about working, but. Remote working, yep. how you went through that in a yep. minute, but yep. we're the parts so, across to Mr. Buchanan. That's it. Over to you, sir. Give us a run. Okay, so many, many years ago. Well, yeah, yeah um, I started work at a merchant bank back in the day when they existed. Uh, I, I was studying, I was doing an economics degree and during the holidays, I used to go out there and work in back middle office, supporting them. Yeah, I told you, Swiss stamping. It was. So interbank FX trading, um, and I was still doing my degree, and then got chatting with the MD, and the, the banking world yet again was suffering, and basically said, "I've got a choice to do an MA, stick it out with you, do accounting, or take off around the world." So his full recommendation was to piss off around the world and actually go enjoy yourself for a few years, well, a, a year or so, save up, travel, and so I did that. Came back, and then the banking world was in an even worse situation. But there happened to be a, an American oil company based down the road from me who was looking for a finance role. So I applied for that, highlighted the banking economics degree, uh, and they were interested to take me on to do cash management. Did that for, three, well, it was cash forecasting, uh, some of the oil forecasting and so on. And then after a few years, and I'll come on to this, and sort of, every three years I was trying to look for new opportunities and they were taught, I was doing accounting exams at the time. They talked about audit and I wasn't so keen on audit. So there was an opportunity at Grand Met um, back in the day when it was Grand Met to work in their treasury accounting team. And their team was big. So you, you, 25 plus years ago, having a large treasury team was somewhat unheard of. But to get a choice into the accounting world and then to treasuries, and I remember the head of the treasury accounting team said, you're not trying to get into the dealing room, are you? I was like, no, no, I didn't even really know there was a dealing room. I did all this research on hotels to find out actually that we're now a drinks business. And then they merged with Guinness, and then there was an opportunity to move into the front office as well. Okay, this is a bit more exciting. So I had to go back to my boss and go, you know what, I've changed my mind. Can I look for a role there? And with that move, I then decided I need to do ACT, bring it more in line for the front office knowledge and carry it. So I flipped out of 
ACCA, started doing the ACT exams. And then after about eight years, actually, I, I was heading up the trading desk by that stage and we were doing FX and interest rates and so on. And then cash, of course. Um, so that gave me a great experience. I then decided actually it's now time to look for a new opportunity. They had a good treasury consulting team, but then there was discussion around money and uh, there was a tech company who some of you might know about that I moved across to because they had a quite an interesting sort of treasury consulting role where you do internal consulting for a very large global group. And they were very, and me, the head office was based quite close to me. So I then after moving into London, had to commute out of London to this place. Spent a couple of years there and decided actually computers really aren't for me. So um, then there was a South African drinks business setting up close to home. So I went back into booze effectively and I've been there ever since so, in various guises. So SMB Miller were just setting up a UK office. I was first of three people to join that company. By the time it got taken over, there were 60 people in treasury across the globe, front, back, middle office, segregation of duties and everything. But I did regional treasury roles looking after the Americas. I then took over Europe. I got nicknamed A&E because there was always an issue going on with one of the regions. And for my final part of my career there was uh, I went over to Switzerland to set up treasury and procurement. And that's where I got more involved with, consult with um, commodities and trying to, again, look for something new to do. I've been spent a long time looking at FX, interest rates, M&A. So we went into that team, set up some working capital uh, objectives, started commodity risk management, and it was going great until the number one beer business decided to take by us. And therefore, you're then looking around and thinking, well, do I want to work for them? If I don't work for them, actually living in Switzerland is quite expensive. So I moved back to the UK and ABI had to sell off a couple of their parts of, of the European businesses. And one of them was Asahi Breweries. Uh, Asahi Breweries Europe, very Eastern European focused. I knew some of the team already and um, applied for that role as the treasurer. Ironically, was sitting with the CFO on my last day in Switzerland and he said, well, how would you sell up treasury? I said, well, I think you need to do this and you're a small team, it's a small business. And then by the time I hit the UK, I got a phone call from HR saying, well, do you want to apply for it? Send your CV in and go through the interview process and lucky enough to get it. Although it's starting from scratch, there was nothing there similar to your stories that there was no systems, people, policies. So we literally over a couple of years had to build that up. And it, over that time period, which is now almost five years, the company's grown. So it's Asahi, what was Europe, is now European International. So it's the Asahi group outside of Japan and, and Australia, where we have two large businesses who sort of, they manage those countries. So it means we are a centralized team looking after FX, commodities, cash, looking after working capital with the procurement team. And because there's only eight of us for a global footprint, we have to be very reliant on systems. And I'm not the greatest tech guy in the world, but you, then you bring in strong people around you. So I think that's what's helped is I can do certain areas, but you also need to recognize where you're not so strong and therefore need to bring in the right skill set. We come back to that. And also to education in a moment as well. We'll hand over to Evelyn, maybe give a run through and then to our ACT. So I've got quite an international background, um, half French, half English, um, studied in Germany and then did uh, did my MBA in Canada and sort of like a, a, a lot of us, um, not very original, stumbled into treasury. And it was uh, kind of uh, nervous at first sight. So I sort of committed uh, to treasury um, since I graduated, basically. So um, in my last 15 years of, uh, of my career, worked my, uh, myself through the ranks. So probably held every position you can think of and starting off an analyst, manager, senior manager, deputy treasurer. And now head of treasury, uh, works across a um, few um, different industries, uh, not for not profit, um, biotech, uh, infrastructure, and now um, recruitment. Um, so I started off with my MBA, um, did my qualifications with the ACT, and then uh, sort of uh, worked myself through, up through the ranks. Um, started with the Salvation Army in Canada. Uh, Wanted to be able to make a difference to uh, start my career in uh, in not profit, and I was attracted to the role, really because um, of the change that was going on. Um, there was a new treasurer, the treasury department was new, and she basically wanted to um, change everything within treasury. So I was leading um, treasury projects, uh, quite you know high level for a 
an entry uh, level uh, position, um, bank migration, so moving um, across 250 bank accounts to, to, to one central bank, um, a merchant acquirer um, change, changing of 150 merchants to, to new point-of-sale terminals, changing the whole um, card, credit card program, and, and putting all the checks and balances that you would, um, you would uh, expect. In a in, you know in a new treasury function, so I, I felt quite fortunate um, to have that as well as my first job. Um, and then for personal reasons, um, I got deposited from Canada. No, just, just <laughs> I just wanted to move closer to my family uh, and decided that um, London was probably um, a good place to continue my career. Um, and so I joined uh, a PLC uh, called uh, Genus in FTSE two fifty. Biotech, um, what Genus does is probably not really PG for this audience, so I'll let you Google it uh, after that. But very, very successful um, company. They had a new CEO at the time, so heavily involved in growth in Asia. So I had my first taste of sort of M&A, uh, complex technical issues, kind of like um, hedge accounting, um, a big FX program, um, a lot of cash management, another bank implementation with uh, notional cash pooling, uh, cash concentration, and um, some uh, funky commodity um, hedging um, as well going on. Um, so I, I stayed with Genus um, around three to four years, and that's when I qualified with the ACT. And I felt what was really missing from my CV was sort of the DCM, um, debt capital market, and uh, credit rating agency, the bank relationship, more the... Uh, sort of like the front office bit. Uh, so that's when I joined Evershort um, Rail, which is sort of um, an infrastructure company, part of a large um, Hong World, uh, infrastructure group based in Hong Kong. Um, so went through um, an acquisition with them. They were initially PE back, then got uh, acquired by the CK group in Hong Kong, which was an interesting process, and then was involved in financing, so over a billion uh, pounds worth of financial singer up all of the bond market, uh, private payment market, uh, manager quite a, a heavy uh, derivatives uh, program, um, got to manage the banks. Um, so really rounded up my tre- my treasury knowledge. Um, Stayed with Evershaw's seven years, um, had two kids in the process. And then I thought, you know, it's uh, time for me to sort of consolidate that knowledge and uh, COVID was quite reflective for me as well. I'm like, I'm ready to really um, go on and get a new challenge and uh, put my stamp on my my own department. And then conveniently, I got uh, a call from uh, Craig, who works for uh, Mike, saying, listen, there's a, there's a position opening up um, at uh, AMS. Um, you know, they're setting up, well, they've got a small treasury function. Uh, the company's growing and they want, you know, to, you know a first head of treasury. So um, off I went earlier this year in July. Uh, so a small team, um, a four um, green team. One of the two of them is present today. So, uh, uh, and we've, uh, the company is really great. So it's a recruitment process outsourcing. So we basically take uh, large companies, so um, financial institutions, big farmers, big blue chip companies, recruitment process, and we outsource it and run it from scratch from them to start from start to finish. Um, We've gone through two, we've acquired two smaller companies um, since I've joined, one in India and um, one in Canada. So working on integrating those companies. Um, so that's been really, really great work and different to what I've, uh, well, what I've been doing so far. Um, and also in charge of um, the insurance program, which has been a step up for me too. And I mean, in terms of my career, um, I haven't really been chasing um, the big names, and I think that's probably what's helped me progress quite quickly. Um, working for maybe smaller, smaller name companies and going for the breadth of experience and um, the breadth of projects, and uh, so being involved in a lot of different areas, which then enabled me to consolidate that knowledge and go apply it to other roles and work myself my, myself quite quickly up into the uh, the ladder. In the room here, we've got quite a range of experience. So we've got people, there's some of the trade professionals here, early stage in their careers. Uh, we've got 
prize winner MCT. I'll introduce you to it later. Yeah, just to announce it. And we've got the president of the ACT. Um, got his way in the room, so that's it. So, you know, we're pro-education. We talk about it a lot on the podcast when I talk to people. I just wanted to ask you as a power, what difference you think it made, not only to yourselves, you know, with your careers, and we'll go through that, but also, you know, not just as an education, education to all the room, but more why, you know, people should think about it. They're not saying you have to do ACT. There's a variety of other things across Europe. But it's made a difference to both, you know, all of your careers. And we'll come back to you. You came in about mentoring as well. But starting with yourself, you know, why are you so passionate about it? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to be heavily biased uh, towards the ACT. I'm a strong supporter of the ACT. I mean, I, I mean, actually, after my MBA back in Canada, I started studying for my CSA because that's sort of the big designation in North America. So I, I passed my level one and then I moved to the UK and my boss at Genus told me, Emily, Emily, if you're doing your CSA, it'll probably be an invest, investment banking um, career. If you want to progress in treasury, in corporate treasury, you need to do your, your ACT exams. So I dropped my CSA uh, and I focused on, on the ACT and I have absolutely not regretted it. I mean, it's an amazing qualification and it's, it gives you a lot of practical experience as well because... Um, I mean, once I qualified, I got involved in a lot of their initiatives. I mean, and when you're at the early stages of, of your career, that helps you with a practical experience. So they met, made me a head, head judge for their Wants to Watch awards. Uh, I helped um, audit some of their qualifications and shape their qualifications. I um, did some uh, marketing material for um, their sort of uni and um, uni campus campaigns. Um, I had shared the future leaders in treasury group for, uh, for, for three years, and now I'm chairing their, uh, membership advisory panel. So it's not only the learning, which is great and which I think you should really focus on, especially at the early stages of your career, but it's all the, so the practical experiences that you get as a result of that link with the ACT. Um, I mean, also, um, you uh, you get that huge network. I mean, their their events are just great. Like, I mean, I try to attend the um, the ACT conference, the annual conference every year. Um, they've got a lot of free events as well. Um, the uh, forum is 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 up um, in a couple of weeks' time, as well as the dinner. So, a lot of networking um, opportunities and networking with your peers because it's. Uh, it's sometimes a bit tricky to be able to tap into that network and the ACT really offers uh, those opportunities. And you were saying, Mike, um, depending on the stage of your career, like, I mean, if you're new to Treasury, I would really put towards, um, towards that. And I mean, it, it's, it tells a lot about someone as well when you're recruiting, someone that's investing in themselves and investing in furthering their education. As a, you know, as a recruiting manager, hiring manager, you sort of, like, I always sort of lean towards that person that has that sort of, um, you know, interest in focusing in, in themselves. If you're later on in your career and you feel, you know, I've been fine in treasury for 15, 20 years without needing the qualifications, or maybe not, but I mean, the link to the ACT is still um, essential in my view and you... You could access that link through other routes. I mean, um, Dino will probably be a better place than me to talk about it. But, you know, you've got e-affiliateship. You've got other routes to become, you know, associated to the ACT without going for the qualifications. Oh, and definitely qualifications, ACT for me. Now, so my early days at Diageo made me realize I actually quite enjoyed the front office rather than the accounting side of things. So the ACT was better suited for the role I wanted to actually um develop as a career going forward. So I, that's where I moved from the ACC, use some of those exams as exemptions to then carry on doing the ACT. And they did, so for early days, you can actually learn about stuff that you don't get to experience at that point. I mean, early days in Diageo, I'm not going to get invited into some secretive M&A deal, but I can learn about some of the valuation techniques. So one, when there's an opportunity and then you can actually demonstrate you have some of these skills, then you get invited onto the inside of some of these deals. 
Um, and then it definitely helped me sort of later life to understand other bits and pieces. I think also on the recruitment side, maybe a little less nowadays, but at least four or five years ago, everyone's got a degree. So that's the starting point. Then you need to look for what else have people got, how, what have they invested into their career to make you interested to come and help them develop them going forward. So if they're already doing ACT, especially for the front office, back middle office, you could argue actually maybe an accounting qualification with all the hedge accounting, the governance and compliance that you need to, to follow, that might be a better qualification to start with. But if you want to actually really focus on the, the front office, I think the ACT is where you need to be focused or give you that experience. And then you take it into practice and develop your CV. And the other thing I love about the ACT is that all qualifications in general, it's very easy for people, stuff, for people to put stuff on a CV and it all sounds very good. And sometimes the language varies by corporate. So you're trying to figure out and then I did one recently where we're looking for a cash manager. The guy said, oh, I trade FX. And so I've got HR saying, you need to talk to these people. He worked at the Bureau de Charge. His CV was beautifully written. But when you start getting into it and start breaking it, he was Central London Bureau de Charge. And that was his FX, spot trade. And when he talked about cash handling, he was likely handling notes. And so when I was asking about qualifications, so oh, I, I haven't done that actually. But if, if someone's doing the ACT, they're not going to be looking to do that. They want to go corporate treasury, want to start with cash management and then broaden their CV and do that sort of three-year cycle. And I think having these qualifications on CVs helps you. You can't hide behind a qualification because it's so easy to check. Have they got what they said they've got? Some various projects and stuff, you can sort of hide behind it a little bit. Oh, I've, when you, until you start testing them and wasting an hour of your life to go through an interview to find out actually they were on the periphery of a project, which looked really impressive, and that's why you brought them in, and to find out actually they, they sat on the sidelines and really drive it or have inside knowledge onto it but I mean yeah I, I echo you know all the points made by both Emily and Anthony there and similar to what Emily said you know I was fortunate enough to have a treasurer who told me right from day one that if you're really serious in this career you need to go for your ACT exams and that was the best advice I must say in this profession from my perspective as well coming in as a chartered accountant and then entering the sort of treasury profession sitting the exams was opportunity to access a broad range of topics that you wouldn't ordinarily, you know, be able to access, you know, in a corporate. I mean, with corporates, you have all sorts of specializations in different aspects. With banks as well, you know, you're probably just looking at your corporate finance and effects. But then with the ACT, I was able to um, access that sort of broad range of technical skills. And that would be my advice to anyone that is looking to, uh, you know, progress within the, the profession. Not only do you have that sort of technical knowledge, and I mentioned it at the start of this final session, is even access to different levels of people, different stages in their career. I was able to take advantage of that as well. I mean, if I had issues, not issues within my role, I was able to access people outside, people that I could be vulnerable with, people whereby you know, I can ask questions and I wouldn't feel like, oh, that's going to impact my performance appraisal, uh, maybe down the line. So again, it's that sort of variability. Um, in the benefits that you get. Again, it's an agile organization. You know, it's an organization that on a day-to-day -day basis, you have relevant topical issues, you know, that are being debated. Solutions are out there. So if, again, you're starting and you're not quite sure as to what aspect of treasury do I really want to specialize in, again, that is a very good platform you know, to go for. I touched on it before about this new post-pandemic world. If you're like, I mean, you come to yourself about this absolutely first of all, to start with, um, working from home, a number of you guys may have just literally come from your bedrooms, switched off your PC right after the session, go on, I've got to put a suit on. And then you might see a couple of legal in slippers, which is a bit work. Um, but I was going to say, working from home, remote working, whatever you want to call it, how have you guys, and can we touch on, you know, a period of reflection, both you and Emily during the pandemic, but did we look at now as we're returning to the world of work and how many days you're back in the office at least, has he, how are you, how are you, and then we'll do Emily and then back to Kemi. Well, there was two areas for you. For a beer business, when you've got no pubs, you start to struggle a bit. So we had the challenges going on with work. We were also trying to support our suppliers through working capital and then sponsoring pubs and just keeping them ticking over until hopefully everything opened up again. So there was, and it's what I'm going to mention later, is actually try and do stuff outside of Treasury. If you want to develop your career, develop your CV, you don't necessarily always focus on 
I've done FX, I've done interest rates. And so I was working with teams trying to support stuff outside of treasury. And then from the work environment now, I mean, early days, it was challenging. We, yeah, we recruited people who I'd never met face to face. And so we, I mean, we, we put them onto temporary contracts because it was like, they're great on TV, but how are we actually going <laughs> to, when you meet them face to face, is this going to work? What we then found is actually when everything opened up, we're two days in the week of the week in together. Because to be honest, my boss sits over in Prague. So everything I've always done with him is either me flying around all over the place or remotely. So he didn't know if I was in the office or not. His rule was he had to be in the office pre-COVID. And I sort of used to joke to him, I was like, you have no idea. We didn't have Teams. We didn't have Zoom. He had Skype, wherever that is now, so which never worked. So it's like, I could be anywhere. And but I was having to travel quite a lot, which isn't really sustainable either. So, and think about the environment. So with the sort of advance of tech, you don't have to be sitting next to each other all the time. And further into your career, as long as you've already built your network up, you probably don't need to be there. I, I do feel for the younger generation because it, how do they develop those opportunities, meeting senior management, getting their face in front of them when you're not invited to those sort of meetings, you, you actually have to be into the office and bump into them or grabbing a coffee and having a chat and then get, get yourself recognized and so on. That I think still is a challenge. If you're working from home all the time, you just don't get to see the right people who go, oh yeah, there's this role here. I met this person. They talked to a really interesting idea. So yeah, that's the, that's why I said we were in the office twice a week and we can all get to sit down. And then if you want to go more frequently, you can. If it's got if it's better space, better tech in the office, not always true in our place, but it's easier to actually then to integrate and to to network. Really, uh, working. Yeah, I'll echo most of uh, Anthony's thoughts. Um, I mean, our policy um, at AMS is um, that is fully flexible at the minute. So you you come in um, a lot if you want to. You don't come in at all if you don't want to with um, a global company, as I say, like not located in 40 different countries. So, and the fact that the tech works well, actually, um, you know, just, it just works. Uh, for my team, um, some people like coming in a lot, other less. And I mean, it works and it works with the work-life balance. It works with, um, you know, people's personal preferences. And at the end of the day, from my perspective, so long as the work gets done, I'm I'm fine. We take time to to do things together as a team, so we get to know each other. Um, where in this tough is for people, you know, just starting out. And I think it's good to have you know the the face, the face uh, interactions well, once in a while. But um, I think you know the the hybrid working for me is uh, probably um, the only silver lining out uh, that we got out of the pandemic. And I would never go back to. Uh, to be being in the office nine to five, five days a week. From a past, it was just an observation, just a reflection really, from some of the sessions I've been done. I did one recently with the NACT in the US, and I was talking to some of these very senior treasurers, and they were incredible people, you know, running global treasury departments. And I talked to one in particular, I was brilliant in the office. I went, oh, wow, how are the team enjoying it? Is it really good? So, well, yeah. And we, we would come back and it was five days a week. I thought, Grumps, wow. Okay. There was, and it was quite a stretch. And I sort of started, started to say, well, when you're seeing, you know, you're back in the five days a week, are you seeing it? Well, oh, no, not really. So well, we'll, see, we'll see all the barriers. We'll see all, you know, relation. I'm out in the business. And actually, I then put this question to the, the, the panel, the people that were there. And I said, can I ask, are you seeing your team more or less now? And they actually, there was this, oh, I'm actually seeing less of them, you know, by the, the you know, previously the, this, uh, Lou Blaming from, um, amazing guy. And he said, he used to have this virtual, um, coffee bread for the time where they all around and was cooler and everyone got to know each other and everything else. And actually he was reinstalling it in the physical world as well. He was getting people in and said, right, we have to sit down as a team and just talk about our lives because it really helped them with their development. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. What's it been like for you? I mean, it's been, it's the same for GXO runs a hybrid uh, working culture, as, as you said, and it's pretty flexible. We don't have confirmed number of days. We, you know, we leave it to people to do as they wish. But I think 
the nature of the treasury professionals that have working in my team is I think they're really like having people around. So within our sort of GXO treasury team, we're always in the office like four, four, five days. I've got a couple of them here. Uh, I think they just enjoy the human interaction. However, they know that, you know, they can work from home however they wish to do that. From my perspective, echoing what Anthony and um, Emily has said, is I've had to look inwards and make myself a better manager, operated within a remote uh, working situation. The human interaction just needs to, to continue. And as you rightly said, you know, we just need to make sure we bring it out of ourselves, make sure that we stay connected within our team. And we do that one-to-one -one regardless of where you are. So the one-to-one -one will happen in the physical. If you're in the office, we encourage it to happen in the physical when you're in the office. And if, if you're not able to make it to the office, then the one-to-one -one will be as a virtual, um, be on a virtual medium. Um, again, you know, we try to try to make sure that we stay connected um, as well, checking mental health, because I think that's a big issue with pandemic and working from home. People can easily, you know, uh, settle into themselves. It's the change in the mindset that I think we all need to be really conscious of, uh, making sure that, you know, all the voices are given the opportunity to be heard because some people are quieter than the others and the quiet ones will probably just become, you know, faceless. Again, what I try to do as well is make sure that my direct reports are in touch with the leaders, one step up, two steps, you know, above. They have interactions, even if it's virtual. Yes, my boss as well is in the U.S., but he also encourages that one-to-one. -one. So my boss actually has, you know, interactions with my direct reports. So it's just being conscious and making sure that anything social, we're encouraging it as well. Um, we're thinking about Taco Tuesdays to get people to come into the office because occupancy in my office is about 5%, mainly Treasury and FBNA. So what can we do? Gin and tonic Fridays, maybe. Um, but again, it's just bringing the human aspect, you know, into managing our team. We're going to Q&A shortly. I'm going to go back to the panel and ask them some challenges before we do a wrap up post Q&A. Um, so get any questions in, if you would. When I do the podcast each and every week, I talk to treasurers about their careers, then we get to the stage, I say, look, there was you, before we wrap up that show each week, I said, look, what are the key things keeping you awake or, you know, issues? If you like, you're facing, you know, we've talked about the people issues, you know, and things like that, remote work. And balancing that. Um, for streaming professionals, you know, how will you improve your planning or what are the things affecting you, Emily? And then we'll come down clearly and come again. You know, you're thinking, you know, we need to think about being touched a bit on the people aspects. What other things do you think, you know, these guys need to be thinking about as well? On the technical aspects, probably the volatility of, of the markets. I mean, the, uh, the rate markets and the, uh, FX markets are a bit all over the place, but extremely volatile. So obviously, it's a, a difficult environment to uh, you know to navigate through, especially when you're setting budgets. So, um, so it's all about you know um, having the right frameworks, future proofing your business, having robust um, policies and and procedures. But I said at the minute, yes, it's just a, the the uncertainty and the volatility of the markets. Yes, totally. I mean, it is, we've got Eastern European FX, we've got commodities, including energy for, for brewing and distribution. You've got inflation. Yeah, inflation, wage inflation, which Treasury can't help as much, but a lot, a lot of those other areas people are focused on. So we have monthly calls with the CFO. We have a team that does a risk management committee. I'm now getting weekly up to sort of chit chats about, okay, what's going on here? What should we do different? But the cost of hedging has gone through the roof because of interest rates and inflation. What can we do different? And I've got the CEO every now and then going, all right, so what are we going to do? And it's like, well, I can't change the market, but we can do, thankfully, I mean, we've done hedging has actually really shown to be the right thing to do when things go crazy. So four years worth of value hedging and it's actually starting to pay dividends. Um, so yeah, the, the crazy markets, which are, they're not going to go away anytime soon. I mean. On the flip side, it's an amazing time to be in Treasury because all of a sudden you're front and centre with some very senior management and it's interesting, exciting. This whole black swan scenario once in 10 years is utter rubbish nowadays. So from 2008, it's literally, we go through it, it's every two to four years, something blows up, either European credit crisis, Brexit, then we had COVID and now unfortunately a European war, all is creating volatility, which we need to sort out and manage as best we can. So. 
interesting but scary. And I agree, you know, pre-COVID, I think in my in my opinion, I thought, you know, Treasury was tailing towards that sort of line of obscurity within the finance department. And then we had COVID, you know, COVID was the opportunity for the treasurers to emerge and, you know, re pretty much, you know, reimagine their role as strategic allies. And then with all the macroeconomic issues and, you know, energy crisis, as you've said, is enabled, you know, treasurers to continue to ride on the success. I mean, for as well, we talk about, you've touched on recession, you've touched on inflation. We, we think about the credit profile of all the customers and all the counterparties that we are, you know, that we are facing. You know, how well are they doing? How, what are the indicators that are out there? So it becomes a constant watch. It's a constant reading of, you know, materials out there who are major counterparties. How is all this inflation, recession, energy? Uh, crisis impacting them. What's the exposure that we have? Also talking about credit insurance, you know, we, you know, thinking about credit insurance just to make sure that you know whatever the risk is, whatever the exposure is, is well managed um, from that perspective. So a set up all now. Sophie and Holly are going to come around with some microphones. Put your hands up. Some questions, if you would, um, because you've got three incredible treasure functions here. Um, so you're going to get a chance to actually ask and them sort of questions, and then we're going to do some takeaways for you guys. What what questions have we got from you, Lars? Come on, get those handed up. And oh, there we go. You're allowed there. Who'd be ladies with the, uh, well, I'm going to shout out, it's uh, Nolis, it's the... Oh, you're... <laughs> oh, no, we got it. There you go. Um, very secret as well. What would you say your wish? It's everywhere. Oh, that is something absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> Receipts. Um, I that. So, uh, I touched on it. Uh, as a wrap up. So, early days of Diageo, you're expected wherever you are to know about everything. And I, I tried to do that. And so, I bumped into a group treasurer with the CFO walking down Oxford Street and goes, Where's cable? And it's like, uh, I'm doing cash management and it's just not having that answer. And I try to make something up and it just went really badly pear shaped. So it's being able to say, look, sorry, I don't know, but I'll, I'll drop you a note. I've just walked out of the office or I've been out for 40 minutes and you know that everything's going crazy. You need to have an underlying knowledge of is it going up or down at that moment. But yeah, not having the confidence to say, look, I don't know, but I'll come back to you was there was a few mistakes and then not so much, but there are mistakes, but it's actually owning up to the mistake and then finding a solution for it. They happen. It's a human nature, unfortunately. I try and make, not make them too expensive, but make sure you get out in front and say, look, we've got a problem here. We're trying to sort it and we're going to resolve it or come with a solution. There might be an expensive decision, but we'll come back to you on it. Emily, you don't lay in the state. No, no, no. At all. It might be a cultural thing, but I am um, a bit direct in my communications style. I think it made me um, working in in America, uh, sorry, in, in North America and uh, and being French, you know, you don't really mince your words. So I have had a tendency in my, in my early years to be a bit too direct and to uh, sort of maybe not be as empathetic as I could have been. So I sort of learned that to sort of tailor on my answers it answers on my style, my communication style to my audience. And actually that was quite a valuable lesson because it's all about relationships and it's all about learning how to communicate with people and adapting to their, your style, to their style. That way, you know, business relationships are smoother and you can sort of work better together. Well, I'm the opposite to Emily there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I will say. I think for me, it's um, not being bold enough you know, to take certain things and, you know, uh, put across my ideas or my opinion about anything. And for, as a result, I must have missed out on a couple of growth opportunities. And in my sort of self-reflection, I realized that, well, I wasn't doing myself good service. I just needed to be bold and more confident in, um, in what I know, uh, you know, how to put my ideas across. I call them lessons learned, really, to be honest. And it's just ensuring that we stay connected to ourselves as well and just audit ourselves. What's the limitation? What's the gap? And just make sure that, you know, we top up on it. So communication was one of the 
key, uh, you know, um, skills that I had to top up on in my self-reflective period. Hello, question here. Yeah. 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 Come on, Helen. <laughs> Jogging now. That's a Just run. Yeah, I can make a start. I mean, it's for me, uh, if you've got a concerned if you've got aspiration in treasury, studying ACT, a qualification, is a good one. Indicating that you are actually on the path of studying for ACT is also one that we will consider. Um, for me, it's around, you know, what is the, if, if we're going to take you on into a role, we're looking to develop you in the role, but you need to show commitments, you know, to the profession. So I would strongly uh, advise uh, that anyone starting in Treasury should consider ACT. And when I'm recruiting, I do look for those. So it's either you're telling me that you're qualified or you are on the path to qualifying. To acquire I will be open because it's a mix, isn't it? It's a healthy mix. You know, we've, you do come across some experienced treasury professionals, you know, that have done a good 10, 15 years in treasury. So by that, you know, they've accessed a broad range, you know, of skills, they've accessed a broad range. And they've also been in that, you know, they've sat in that um, seat of decision-making, strategic thinking. So it will be a healthy balance. Um, it depends on how advanced and how senior they are. If you're a starter, then yes, you know, we can then start, you know, shaping that thought around it. But in terms of um, a more senior role, yes, you know, we were, I'm going to, I will weigh that all, you know, to depending on the experience. And as you said, also maybe try to, you know, guide that person, the candidate towards another route. So having those letters, at the end of the day, the letters get you through the door. It's a discussion that, oh yeah, I'm 15 years experience. People will look at the letters and it's quite seen as beneficial to have. Hello, man. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they're slightly different. So if you're recruiting, yeah, you got to look for the letters. I mean, the years of experience, but like I said earlier, it's sometimes what's written on the CV is hard to decipher. So knowing someone's actually qualified or doing the qualifications definitely counts. And actually our head of talent, she works with the ACT quite closely. So if I'm looking at a CV, she'll come up to me and go, well, hang on, where's the... Where's Where's the ACT qualification? She doesn't know much about treasury. She sits quite close to us and hears us chat, but she's interested in qualifications, something that demonstrates that you've got a level of understanding. If you're internal, we've got a very strong ACT supporting for treasury. And even people who are looking to get into treasury would say like, but there's, you can get time off for financial support and so on to, to do those qualifications. So you could get promoted from in without having it because you know the person a lot better. So we've had people come out of procurement into treasury because they want to broaden their skill set. But I think once they're in treasury, there will be that push to say, well, what about doing these exams to, we only do certain things in treasury. You can learn a lot more by doing this qualification. So. I'd echo all those thoughts. The only point that probably adds on the deputy question is that I would probably be open to, um, interviewing a person that doesn't have um, an ACT qualification. However, I was quizzed them very hard as to why they don't yeah. at that level. And it, has, it would have to be quite a compelling answer for that candidate to be um, successful at that level. Probably your time, one more question. Well, you're leaving the You can arm wrestle over there. There's no tape there. Yeah, I can uh, take that one. Um, 
probably my previous role, um, we, I had the pleasure of uh, taking the lead on a, a TMS implementation, uh, just a good one to have on, on the CV. And a bit of an excruciating exercise. Um, however, the benefits were immense. Um, I mean, especially around hedge accounting, not having to do all the, you know, the regression and analysis from scratch. Having all the journals be hosted automatically in the ERP, payment treasury payments going through, um, banking cash reconciliations. Um, that was probably the biggest win from a tech perspective. Um, in my career. I think, yeah, that before you TMS. I mean, I, I was thinking about that. So, well, I mean, our TMS, we could take the full cost from the business. The system will put out the variances against our policy, and then we'll put an, an argument to say whether we should hedge or not. And so, having that visibility, and then that goes straight into a trading solution, except for commodities, because I haven't found one yet. Um, and with the auto match with the banks, and then into SWIFT. So, but on the flip side of that, I think early days when we were setting up, it was having a single bank multi-currency cash pool solution. Just have the vis- visibility of cash early days. TMS, you can get set up and in the future, but actually knowing where your cash is and the risk you have with banks outside of a di- direct visibility, I think was where we focused on first off. I mean, yeah. My case, you know, we, we went through a transformation in my previous role. And from then on, we were able to actually implement bots for payments, which again brought in efficiency um, in our payments uh, landscape. Now, in my current role, we have fragmented systems, and I think it's not, it's not unique to GXO. Uh, we also have multiple banking partners, and we know how expensive it is to consolidate your ERPs, how expensive it is to shut a bank account and open another bank account. So my interest is in APIs. You know, what sort of middleware can we implement? that will enable us actually fuse uh, the various fragmented systems that we need to work for and then give us real-time data. My passion is in artificial intelligence, in the machine learning robotics, but then, you know, what's the middleware that will enable me uh, achieve the various efficiencies that's out there by fintechs? To run start, we're going to one more question, then we'll give the, each of the panelists going to give you some amazing takeaways. I'll even do some as well. I'm sorry, I've been kind of over there. Um, what were yours? This, um, so that's the first question. Okay, she, she, yes, 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 Communicating in a language that people understand you. Treasury's brilliant to have really techy language, which only a bank and other treasury people understand. And actually sitting with the businesses, FDs have no knowledge. There's an element of go do your job, sort it out. I need to give me a number. And there's elements of we can't sort it out how you want it. So you need to be able to explain it into their language. And actually yesterday we were doing a presentation to our EMEA business on this is what treasury is all about and breaking it down into plain English. So when I, my old treasurer back in Diageo said, you can explain it to your grandmother, you can explain it to anyone. And it's having that, that level of communication to take all the interesting language out of it and just make it plain. So we were talking about FX as far as going on a holiday to buy a chalet and then mortgages and to take it down to that level of understanding when we're talking interest rate risk or FX risk. Kimmy, how would you say? No, it is. It's the same thing, you know, just making sure that we are speaking in plain, simple terms and English, being able to break things down. Um, most importantly, I think, is um, around trying, distilling what's happening out there in the current market to how it relates to people's day-to-day jobs. So we sit there in the middle, and I say we treasure sits in the middle and interact with you know, all sorts of business units. We're talking about the you know, FB&A team procurement, uh, people that manage our fleets, people that manage our um, energy within the group. How does what happens today, you know, uh, translate or impact their role? So he's been able to distill those technical terms, think, think outside, you know, the box and then ensuring that, you know, they understand uh, what we have to manage in terms of risk for the business. Yeah, and tailoring your communication style to your audiences. And the really key, like pitching it at the right level, you know, actually talking to the CFO yeah. or to, uh, to an analyst, but 
going to set it forward. And that sort of segues into the um, top tips. Um, relationships are really everything, in my view. Um, you have to be strong technically, but you also have to make the time, I think, as, as a human, you know, I mean, like I'm taking time for a 30 minute coffee with a colleague or with a key stakeholder can can change everything in terms of how you work going forward and the value you can add to your day day job. So really making the time for those conversations um, casually as well uh, makes a whole lot of difference and that sort of uh, feeds into the communication piece. Right. So we're going to come to the key takeaways and also the panelists will be frequenting the bar in there so you can get your one-to-one questions with them so i'm going to skip through these so uh the feeds are topics questions are done right kemi all right so you now we have to cover these in minutes so i'm now revealing it shall i but yeah fully honest the key one here is the mentor sponsor and coach you know going through my career i didn't even think that there was anything like that um but of course later on the Current day sort of professionals have it peddled, you know, to them every day, seek a mentor, seek a sponsor, seek a coach, is knowing who is doing what in our lives, um, project managing our career as well. And I think I mentioned it earlier on that, you know, I gave that role to somebody who didn't know that that was his role to project manage my career. But it's been intention, intentional about our career. What is our goal? Having a vision board as to this is where I am today. This is where I intend to go. So in terms of takeaways is project managing your career, making sure that you have those goals clear. Mentor, sponsor, coach, you know, look for somebody that will speak for you, you know, when you're outside the room, just like you rightly said, um, Emily. Um, it's about breaking that relationship, having people that we speak to generally. Continuous learning, I'm very big on that, you know, any day, 30 minutes, LinkedIn learning, there's a lot to, uh, to glean from LinkedIn in terms of even personal development. And I say, as you grow in treasury, it's thinking outside treasury, you know, what else can we bring into the community? How can we give back into the community? We all have authentic stories to tell. I just never know who is listening and that story can help somebody else along the line. And most importantly, have fun, be authentic and be real. And I'm just going to reflect back on the mentorship. One of our early episodes, actually, we're going to recatch up is Carol Van der Maiden Lady. And one of the things that have jumped out, uh, she, she talked about having a mentor and there were three or four major points. One of the ones she said, so you can be mad. Was that right? Okay. So we're you have a mad idea. Could this work? Could this? And she said, so she would talk to her mentor and I have a crazy idea that might, the heart of it, have a really good, something really good in there. But it's just environment. Fools. So by having someone like that, you run the mouse, the idea here. What do you this I was a bit mad, but oh, actually, and that, she's got so much value, and she you know did a lot of that. So over to Anthony's uh, yours. We have got there. Qualifications. I think we've touched on it multiple yeah. times. Um, it gets you through the door in your early part of your career. The qualifications help, and then you start getting the diversity. One thing I promised I said for Mike: if you're looking for a new job, use a recruiter who talks treasury. Because early days, I've used guys who put me in front of roles, which was not a treasury role. I didn't have the qualifications, and it was a waste of time. And I've had CVs sent in to me. And HR love this. They've got their set recruiters, and they send you all this stuff. And a, a classic one. I was looking for a manager, and it was a, a restaurant manager from the Pizza Express in Woking, the infamous Pizza Express from Prince. But anyway, it's like, oh, well, why am I looking at this? It's wasting my time. So get people who speak the right language. Diversity of experience in your CV. And we talk with, we work with tax, we work with legal, we've got opportunities within treasury. Try and get out of that sometimes. So I've been lucky enough to do projects with HR. If you're going to complain about stuff in HR, you might have to step up and try and change it. So I was always moaning about something and then I got dragged in to do a project. I've done an office build project. So trying to get these different things onto your CV. Sustainability is a massive thing right now as well. So there's, there's lots of opportunities there. Learn from strong leaders. I mean, there's a lot of political minefields within corporates and ours is definitely no different. So learning how people work, speaking with, trying to learn that sort of the experience of how to interact with people, the languages they like and, it, and what are their focus points so you can then sort of target your discussion on the particular thing they're worried about. And as I touched on it, make a decision, 
No one knows the answer in financial markets. As long as you can support it, be strong enough to go out and say, I think we should do this. Too often you sit in this meeting and goes round and round in circles and no one, you walk out of it, it's going, well, that's just wasted 40 minutes of my life. So make that decision, but also remember when to step out and say, look, I'm not sure, I'll have to come back to you. On that early mistake, it's like, if, if you're not comfortable with your decision, know full well it's going to be wrong. It'll never move exactly how you think it is, but if you can, can't support it, turn around and say, look, I'm going to have to come back to you on that. I'll, I'll drop you a note and put it here. We'll work with the team because you, you always work in teams. So it's like, we'll come back to you. Emily. Yeah. So the first one I've sort of touched on, I have um, developed a solid um, network. You know, a lot of uh, the, the jobs aren't necessarily advertised and you might be able to access them through your, your, your networks and leverage um, the link with uh, industry bodies such as uh, the ACT. Um, I would say approach sort of career decisions in, in, uh, in the same way as you would approach um, a business decision. So learn to quantify risk, you know, build models and, um, and you know, and it'll just make taking risk a bit easier when it comes to moving roles or asking for a better package, just having everything to some sustain your, your, uh, your decision. Um, Learn, um, keep, keep an open mind. So, um, you know, for me, it, it's worked well to sort of consider smaller uh, organizations, smaller teams that gives you sort of um, the breadth of experience. So don't go necessarily chasing those big names that will then mean that you're sort of siloed in a role and not allow you to progress as, uh, as quickly as you, you would hope for. Um, a practical tip, um, don't, don't procrastinate. Sometimes a task may, might look very challenging. Like, make it, um, tackle it in manageable phases, make it more like bite-sized phases, and then it'll make it look less overwhelming and allow you to be successful in, uh, in taking on a challenge. And finally, um, that's maybe personal to me being, I mean, it's direct, but don't get too emotional about work. Like, I mean... Just have fun. It's just business after all. Good. So I'm going to give you some final words from me as well. <laughs> when you give these amazing people around the doors in a minute, which you will, um, and really put your house together, but also think about doing it for yourselves. Because it's a Thursday evening. Yes, there's the free drink. I joke about that. But you've actually invested an hour of your lives in improving yourselves in the treasury careers. Yes, we there's been nuts for it. Certainly, uh, yeah, but it's also all the other learnings you got from amazing three trillion professionals. But you've also turned up and is about putting in that work. And the way that, again, I was talking to the audience yesterday in Dublin, I was talking then, and it's about, I also sometimes think of it as standing the, the wrong way round on a traveling to the L. Turn around and taking him quiz. The funny thing is, people are still walking past you. Other people are developing themselves, they're investing themselves. And it's, you know, it's not all about competition with everybody else. But if you don't develop, if you just sit still in Treasury, you can go backwards because you've got to you go. Obviously, there's an amazing podcast you listen to. People are listening. And this is about another thing you're about. In a minute, you're going to go out there. Someone's going to say, What do you do? I'm in Treasury and I'm doing cash management. Really? Anyone doing cash work in this room? Touch your machine of drops. Yeah. Make means nothing. What you need to do is say, I do cash work for XYZ or whoever it might be. And what I do differently in my job and what I do is make a difference. Where do you badly? And then tell someone that. Just tell them that, oh, I do this or I work for them and blah, blah, blah. Sure, elevator pitch. That's what we're talking about. That the time it takes to go down in and out into three or four floors. Weekly master, just it's through now in a moment. As someone says, Oh, what do you do? I'm with such and such. I'm the treasury dealer, XYZ. Yes, so what? Tell us what you do. How do you make a difference in your day job? You've implemented a GMS, you've saved lots of people times, and that's what you need to do. But the final tip is actually from Chris Fulton, the great American guy, and I see it all the time. When you walk away from here, you have another networking session. It was a very dry old boy's business. Oh, and he, what he does, he makes these really good notes. And he'll say, go to a conference or something. And it's a great tip. I do it now as well. 
you take that business side of something that has it to you or just literally jot it down and say, oh, yeah, I can help be taught about their son to go to university. I went there. Oh, just send a couple of recommendations. He does it all the time. See, he's made two career moves that he's been approached for completely out of the loop. He never actually rolled twice, rolls come looking for him. So that's one of the key things. So, so as a saying, if you want to chat further, um, seeing so bringing that together for these amazing three think pop. Uh, thank you to Kevin, feature Anthony, thank you to Emily, thank you to Carly O'Sullivan, now. Andy Wingers, the guys from FIS as well. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.